but it's even more of a shock than that because now it's a double whammy. Like the first shock was, oh, I get it. I used to have an in-person job. Now I have a remote job. How do I adjust to that? But then the second whammy is, oh, my company used to have these values and here comes a brand new value glommed onto that, which is how we respond to the vaccine. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast. I'm Ken Kennard, and I'm joined by Dr. Chip Roper and Sarah Evers. And in this conversation, we discussed the Great Resignation. It's the largest vocational migration in recent history. Workers are leaving their jobs in record numbers, with three to four million people quitting each month. And this kind of disruption in the workplace impacts all of us. So we wanted to discuss what scripture has to say about it. What biblical wisdom should we apply to our personal vocational discernment? We look at what's happening and what it looks like to have a gospel-centered lens to faithfully navigate our careers. Let's get into it. Awesome. Well, let's get started. So we're talking about the Great Resignation. And uh, two weeks ago, we kicked this off. And a number of you participated in the panel. You had some really interesting things to say. So we just want to rewind back to that. And maybe a few highlights of that. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about where's the Great Resignation coming from, a little analysis on that. And then we want to get into what we think is uh, godly wisdom for dealing with this kind of I mean, it's unprecedented time, I, I think, for most of us in our lifetimes. So, uh, Ken, do you want to share a few highlights uh, as you think back on the conversation two weeks ago? Yeah, well, it was it was a great conversation because of the participation of uh, the people, some of whom are here. We had uh, Jordan speak up, Eugene, I think Nathan uh, joined us as well. And um, besides Eugene's takeaway of just, you know, that a lot of people are, you know, have have resigned themselves in the great resignation, not resigning their job, but resigning themselves to kind of a new reality that that they've 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 got over the initial shock of of the system. And now they've said, how can I adapt? How can I make it uh, add value? How can I uh, take advantage of this? What new opportunities are here? So some people are doing that. But but a lot of people have really uh, shifted their job. We, we discovered a lot of people have moved. And the move has precipitated uh, a, a little shift in lifestyle. They want to be either closer to family or they want to, they feel like it doesn't matter where they live. So they might as well live where they want to be. Or, you know, a lot of people are moving out of cities to places where they have a little more space. Hey, if I'm going to have a home office, I might as well have one that I like or that's quiet or that I can build the way I want. A lot of that has gone on. Companies have um, tried to adapt as well. And there's this whole issue around the mandate and around the, the vaccine. And that has um, created some of the, the resignation. You know, some people are like, hey, I'm not really willing to get vaccinated or I'm not really willing to work with people who are not vaccinated or, you know, all kinds of different shades in that um, conversation. And so because of that, that has created, um, you know, some need uh, for people to, to find something new. And of course, there's the employer side of it as well. Like, I've got work to do. I need to hire people. Who can I hire? And there's um, people have just mentioned upward pressure on wages and, and things like that. Um, also, there could be some difference uh, between men and women we discovered in this. So 
um, especially at the service level sectors, um, uh, the, the resignation is, is affecting women more than men, disproportionately so. And we talked about, we wondered why this is. Is this because of childcare? Is this because of um, schooling from home? One of my clients is, uh, runs a, a public school system and they reported back saying 15% uh, of our school population shifted to homeschooling in the last year. That's got to have an effect on moms. That's got to have an effect on workers in general. That's got to have, therefore, an effect on business and organizations. So those are just uh, a few of the highlights. Uh, Sean and I were, were trying to pull out of um, the people that are here. What are they seeing? And those were some of the um, ones I, you know, I thought I'd touch on. Yeah, it's really fascinating times. And you guys, probably, you talked about this, but it's, you know, four million people quitting a month. Um, and it was already trending up, then it went on pause for the pandemic, and it's continued to go up and up and up. And there's all these new terms. I don't know if you guys have heard this. Have you guys heard of rage quitting? Like, it's a thing. Like, you, you quit in a rage, and there was just a headline on Business Insider about three people giving testimonials about how they rage quit their jobs and how that was good, you know. Um, we're not going to be advocating that today. But uh, just saying, you know, it's just kind of funny, like this new vocabulary. So lying flat is another new vocabulary, which means you just kind of phone it in on your job. Uh, it's kind of a protest. Um, so there's lots of noise around all this. Uh, it's a real thing, and it's part of the a lot of the, the sorting and the reshuffling, and the, the pandemic has been a catalyst for uh, massive amounts of change. Yeah, and, and one more thing that came up after our discussion that I thought I would throw in here is that I looked at some data on people quitting their jobs. And although the pandemic has been this huge spike up and down, really disruptive in that line, that flow, it turns out that if you zoom out, you can see the effects of this actually starting as back as early as 2008. So it's not as if the pandemic is the only factor in the Great Resignation. The Great Resignation is kind of the last most recent 25% of a trend that's been going on since 2008. I thought that was interesting because those little things that happen slowly over time can creep up and become a big trend uh, over the course of what, uh, 13 years. Well, it's like a lot of things. The pandemic has accelerated what was already yes. kind of in the wings and made it more intense and more real. And yes, Nathan, lying flat is what millennial workers are doing in China in protest to. There's a name for it. I think it's it's nine nine something or other. But it's basically that you work nine to nine, six days a week. It's nine nine six. It's um, that's what they do. And um, so some of this, even the Fed chairman today said that this is all good because it's like people, the workers have more power and they're going to be they're going to be uh, fighting for more more kind of just workplaces. That's quite, that's, that's interesting, you know, and so it's all part of the mix. Um, so I want to just share a couple ideas about how we got here. Uh, and then um, Sarah and I, and Ken and I will talk a little bit about that. And then we're talking about the wisdom piece. So uh, there's three things that are really um, converging right now, three forces that, that are causing this. So one is that there's lots of new opportunities. Um, you know, everything shut down and then everything opened way up. And so... There's this sense that people can quit their jobs because they can get a new job, you know, and it's easy to get a new job and it's not as risky as it used to be. And it does depend on sector and it does depend on region. And, you know, we're in New York or I'm in New York uh, today, and which is where I live. And there's been a lot less quitting in New York 
and in the Northeast than there has been in the Southeast and in parts of the upper Midwest. So, um, so that's kind of interesting. So it could depend on where you are. Uh, but still, the bottom line is there's tons of job openings and you know, people are fighting for talent. And you know, all my friends and connections who are in the search business or in the headhunting business, they're busier than ever. All of them, it doesn't matter what sector they're placing, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit, it's you know, finance or more general, they're just, they're just busier than ever because people are moving. And they're moving because they can, because there's opportunities. So that's the first, the first reason. The second is a little, because of something you said, Ken, the word shock. And um, some, of the, some of the real research uh, behind why people quit and move jobs has actually been done by companies who want to retain talent. And um, we've got some more, we'll, we'll, put, we'll put a link to a blog post on this with some more details and, and links to sources. But um, shocks, when, when people go through a shock, they reassess everything. And um, we've all been through at least one, maybe multiple shocks through this pandemic period, which is getting close to two years now. And, um, you know, all kinds of things can, so all kinds of life things do this to you anyway. So when you get to certain stages in life, when you go through issues with, with your personal life, uh, marriage, divorce, children, death of parents, like those are all shocks that we all go through sort of on our own individual timetables. And what's happened in the last 18 months or so is we've all been through multiple shocks at the same time. And it's like the tree just keeps getting shaken and shaken and shaken. And so what happens after shocks is that people reassess uh, what they're doing. And it's a natural response to having your world turned upside down in various ways. So, you know, it's, so some of us have realized it's really important to be in driving distance of loved ones because flying became ter- difficult. Or if you have family overseas, that became impossible. Like you haven't seen them for two years. And, and things like that. So anyway, there's lots of shocks and then that, that, but the difference is we've all experienced them at the same time. And, um, and so there's gonna be this massive reassessment going on. It's really pretty fascinating uh, from a sociological point of view. So that's the second cause. The third is a little bit more complex and it has to do with the factors that actually keep us in a job and uh, again, this is some, some management scientists have, have done this. We're gonna actually put a graph up on, we're gonna, we're gonna show you that, give you a look at these six things. And it's, uh, this chart could be a little confusing because the, the middle and the right column are all the factors and then the, the, the links fit and sacrifice there on the left are just titles. So there's two kinds of links. There's your link to your job and the link to the community where you need to work to do your, where you need, the link to the community where you have to live to do your job. There's fit, so that's your fit with your job. We, and that's something we talk a lot about at VOCA, but there's also the fit you feel in the place where you need to live to do your job. And then the third idea is the idea of sacrifice. And it's what you would lose by leaving. And it's not just leaving the job, it's also leaving again that community where you have to live to do your job. So the community, for, for a whole host of people has just changed, hasn't it? Every single one of those things about the community what the, has changed because uh, like if you move somewhere and you had to live there, in fact, New York City, you know, people had to come to New York City to, to work. Almost only, only 25% of the people who live in New York were born here. 
and so everybody's from somewhere else, and most of them come here to make make their make a living, not necessarily a fortune, but make their living. Whether they come from overseas or whether they come from the heartland, they come here to make their living. Well, you know, some of my finance friends have said, the ones that live in the suburbs of New York, I don't need to go there anymore to make my living, you know, and I, I don't have to do that. And so the the kind of the rules are changing. Like, where do you have to live to um, to do your job? And that's a big shift that's starting to happen in the world of finance. And then there's just another article about that, that, you know, there's more finance jobs being created in other places, um, Charlotte, Miami, uh, a couple other cities than there are in New York. And it just didn't, it's a game changer. It's different. So the, that community column is changing up and down and it's probably changed for everybody. The other thing that could change is that the jobs are changing. Maybe, you know, um, what used to be an in-person job is an all-remote job, and that changes the job. Some of us have done, we like that. Some of us hate it, and that's, that gets into that, you know, our personal fit or the things that we feel, the connections we feel to the people we work with. Some of you probably like the fact that you don't have to see everybody every day and that you're not interrupted constantly and all that. You're an introvert, by the way. That's, what, that's, that's the definition of what that is. And, um, but some of you, you miss it. And you feel like this gap in mean, this lack. And so, so all these, these factors are kind of being scrambled right now. And when it comes to what do you lose by leaving, well, you know, what you lose, some people think, uh, you know, what do you lose by leaving New York? You lose high taxes, you know. And what do you lose by leaving this company where a bunch of people left and they've left you doing more work than everybody else? You get to go somewhere else and you get to get paid more money and you know, you, you don't lose that much. Like the sacrifice to leave is going down and it's not all true, you know? And, um, by the way, just to be officially on the record, you know, I still love New York and I still love living here. So, um, uh, whatever, you know, every place has its up and upside and its downside. But, but the point is I hear that kind of, I hear people talking that way all the time and it fits into these grids. So we have these three ideas that there's opportunities, so people are leaving. There's shock, which just shakes the tree, and we, 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 it's time to we, we reassess. It just happens naturally. And then when we really get granular into the things that anchor us into a job, and there's these six different things, a lot of them are shifting right now. And it's so it, some, of the, some of the writers in like Fortune and some of these other places are just saying, we, shouldn't be, we really shouldn't be surprised that people are quitting in record numbers and changing jobs in record numbers and all that kind of stuff because when you look, when you peel back the curtain, there's so much going on that drives that kind of behavior that's natural. So Ken and Sarah, what do you think? Any things that you want to expand on? Client stories you see that validate some of this stuff? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, ab absolutely. I think, um, you know, your first point, <clears throat> excuse me, your first point, you talked about the opportunities are out there and there's this whole idea, this, this pent up demand for change. A lot of people just hunkered down and were thankful to have a job when everything shut down and we started the pandemic. And so they may have been thinking about a shift, but a lot of people froze those plans. Um, and now that things are beginning to open up again, it's like the doors have been flung open and, um, and the opportunities are growing. So I, we've got this perfect storm um, that the pandemic created where all of us were experiencing the shock this awakening of what are your priorities? What's most important to you? How do you want to spend your time? With whom do you want to spend your time? 
and where, right? So that, that shake for all of us at the same time, along with the fact that now things are opening up again. And so people who were considering a change before or are reevaluating their priorities, it's almost like this um, awakening um, of what's really important in life. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and, you know, the other thing you said about shock, Chip, is you said we all deal with this with life events, divorce, and you, you gave some examples that were on the personal side. But it's more of a shock than that at work because this is a shock that directly affects work. I used to work this way, now I work this way. That's what happened when the pandemic started. But it's even more of a shock than that because now it's a double whammy. Like the first shock was, oh, I get it. I used to have an in-person job, now I have a remote job. How do I adjust to that? But then the second whammy is, oh, my company used to have these values and here comes a brand new value glommed onto that, which is how we respond to the vaccine. So it turns out my company says on one extreme, if you're not vaccinated, you can't work here. On the other extreme, it's, hey, we're not gonna mandate things, you know, come as you are, we'll figure it out, right? And you've got places in between. Well, that wasn't even a consideration before. So these are things that are shocking the employee-employer relationship, the, the, the actual material part of the job. It's not, I got a divorce and now I'm rethinking everything and here comes my midlife crisis. It's a double whammy on the work itself, which has got to have an effect of shaking lots of things loose from that employment tree. Oh, yeah. And, and Ken, I would add to that, the, my job was in person and I had to go to the office. And then with the pandemic, I had to be home. But now they're going to let me be at home forever. So where, where do, do I want that? Do I like the, the work uh, from home situation or do I, am I looking for something that will allow me to live wherever I want or do I, do I want to go back into the office, right? You've got those competing desires too. Exactly. I've got a client just this week, we talked about him considering a job offer. It's too long, too far away to commute. And they promised him because they really want him. He's not going to move. He just moved right? He just moved for his wife's job. So now he's going to say, I'm not going to move. They said, we'll promise you that you can stay remote for at least two years. And he said, two years, that's worth it. I'll consider that job. Wow. Yeah. And then have the conversation again in two years. It's interesting <laughs> though, too, from their perspective, they're just bang They're just saying, we just need to get two years out of this guy. Like, well, they're saying at least two years, we'll commit to you, you commit to us, Yeah, but right? that's, what, that's, that's the minimum that they're, but that's yes. not very long. I mean, you know, it takes you a year to be productive in a lot of jobs. So it's kind of like, that's really interesting, the way they're doing that math. I think it used to feel like not very long. In pandemic years, it's forever, two years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, well, that, it's like dog forever. years or something. And there's some, yes. there's some formula for it, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes me think of a client who, um, in the midst of the pandemic, left company headquarters, moved almost the whole way across the country to be near family because, right, she could see the, the pandemic stretching out. Um, and unlike the rest of her of her colleagues at, at that C-suite level, she's the only one who's not at living at company headquarters anymore. And she bought a house, settled her family, kids are enrolled in school, and she's just hoping they're not going to say, you got to go back. Because if she has to move back halfway across the country, she's looking for a new role. A new role or she's another resignation statistic, yeah, right? She's, uh... she's... 
four, oh, uh, yeah, four yeah. million she and will one leave that in, company uh, and go October. somewhere else. Let me yeah. clarify that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> interesting. That's really interesting. Well, you know, guys, so if you feel like the earth is moving under your feet, it is. You know, it is. It's just, it's kind of an unprecedented shock and it's everybody's feeling it. And Ken, I think your point's really, really well taken that it's like the, the magnifying glass is focusing the beam on work. It's really changing the way we work. And, um, and it's, you know, it's confusing and it's exhausting and we're still kind of in the middle. And so it's, it's, but it's real. It's not, you're not imagining it. And, you know, your obnoxious friends who post those posts that they're just, everything's wonderful, peachy keen, and they're just on top of the world. Um, they're probably lying and, uh, you, you don't need to, you don't need to feel intimidated by them because, um, it's just, this really is an unprecedented time of change and turmoil, at least in a generation that, that any of us have known. So what do we do with that? And I want to, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about that and then see what you guys think. So, um, I think there's kind of two reactions that we can have. Uh, when we when we face this kind of upheaval, um, you know, the one is that we we just we automatically click into action mode and we go along with the crowd. Like we think it's fear missing out, it's FOMO, and I've got to be out there and I've got to get a better job and I'm you know I'm gonna I'm gonna suck it up and dust off my resume and go out and do a search and we just assume that's what we should do. Uh, or the other option is we freeze. Uh, kind of in despair because it's just so overwhelming. It could be overwhelming because there's so many things we could do. It could be overwhelming because, you know, we have all these different voices that have all this advice for us. And so how do we kind of push through all that stuff and, and get to get to something substantive? How do we get to something that we would call godly wisdom? That's like rooted in what God has revealed to us through Christ and through scripture. And I have three ideas on that too. So the first is that we should be, we should have a, a sovereignty-driven optimism. That God is the idea that God is sovereign. I'll talk about that. A second is that Jesus is, offers us more than saving; He offers us leadership, and that He offers us an active kind of leadership that that relieves some of the burden that we often pull onto ourselves. And the third idea is that we we want to go after true wisdom rather than rash action. Uh, we we want something. This thing called wisdom. Which I guess it's a word we throw around a bit in our culture, but it's a it's a real unique thing and it's a powerful thing and it's something that God promises us. So uh, let's talk about sovereignty driven optimism, and you know I I don't I don't like this one because I feel like sometimes those of us in the in the in church land as I call it we we throw around God is in control that phrase a little too cavalierly um, without fully understanding kind of maybe what we're implying or what we're saying, but, you know, um, there's this sense that, and it comes out over and over and over again in scripture that God has a plan. He has a grand design, a direction he's taking human history in, and that he is accomplishing that plan even when people do things that are contrary to his character and, and his moral will. And that's so, in other words, People do things that God doesn't want them to do, but that's still part of God's ultimate plan. And you say, well, I don't know. I mean, and it, yeah, it's a little, a little blow your brain up a little bit. But it, there's something about this idea that ultimately God will pull, achieve his purposes for us if we're surrendered to him and for the world. 
and that you know every person that we know in scripture and since who's really done life with him has had an up and down kind of experience it's never been you know it's not been a, a pleasure cruise nobody's gotten that that journey with through life with god it's always been a mix of hard things and good things and yet he ultimately brings about his purpose i think you know joseph is one of my favorites in the old testament what what his brothers intended for evil god used for good and he went through dark periods of doubt and discouragement and what we would all call a set he had some terrible setbacks in his career um going to jail is a career setback uh in anybody's book and um Joseph went to jail for something he didn't do. So anyway, God has a plan. God's in control, ultimately in control. I don't, I, I don't like the word control because we use remotes. And I don't have one right handy, but you know we press buttons and 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 see things come happen. I don't think that's the way God controls controls things. It's much more sophisticated and complex than that. But He has a way of working through our beauty and our brokenness and the beauty and brokenness of our world to accomplish His ultimate ends. And that so. God's not surprised by the pandemic or a great resignation. Um, he's not surprised by the fact that there's 10 million job openings and only 8 million people to fill them. And you're sitting there thinking, wonder, you know, why can't I find one? And you know, he's not surprised by any of this. None of this takes him by, by surprise. Um, he knows the beginning and the, from the end. And I, I don't, I think there's, there's some comfort in that. So that's the first idea. Second idea is this idea of, of leadership and, you know, when we call, it goes to this idea of the title, one of the titles that Jesus has, and it's the title Lord. And um, we referred to Romans 14 a little bit when we were talking about the whole vaccine idea and the ways that, you know, many in the faith community are judging each other based on their response to this vaccine issue. And, and we're pretending, we're acting like we're the we're the judge and jury for our brothers and sisters. And Romans 14 makes it really clear that that's totally inappropriate, that we all answer to one and we answer to the Lord. And, and so there's an authority aspect of that, but there's also, I mean, it's authority and it's leadership. Like he's got, he's in charge. It's his responsibility to lead us. It's uh, not our responsibility to lead ourselves per se. It's his responsibility uh, to lead us. And there's this phrase in Romans 14 that whether we live or die, you know, we do so for him. It's like we're, we're supposed to live our lives for him. And um, again, I don't, I, might, I don't mean to say that this is an easy fix. Like you just say, oh, I'm living for the Lord and everything's easy and fine. But I do think it takes some of the burden off of us that we, we, we pull onto ourselves because we live in this hyper achievement, be responsible, make your way kind of society. And uh, this idea that he is the he's in charge or goes even to that statement where Jesus said, "Take my yoke upon you, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light that a yoke is a harness it's surrendering to the direction and leadership of another and he's saying i'm gonna i'm gonna take care i'm gonna lead you where you need to go and I think that's comforting too and then the last idea is this idea of wisdom and um you know, wisdom is sometimes we call i like to call it practical knowledge it's like what we should do what we should do based on who God is and what God's plans are for the world. Like what we should do given us this sort of God-connected frame of reference. And so it's interesting, and some of you are going to be, we'll see. We'll see how upset you are by what I'm about to say in the Q&A. But 
I think, you know, the, the interesting thing about wisdom is that basically wisdom could say that for you in the great resignation, the best thing to do is to quit your job and go find another job. Like, you know, I'm not really into the rage quitting, like um, gentle answer turns away wrath. That's also in Proverbs, you know, like so I'm not, not an advocate for that, but um, not an advocate for burning bridges uh, anyway at all. I don't think that's wise, but. You know, some of you need to quit, and some of you, wisdom is staying. And you say, well, Chip, that's not very helpful, because it could be either or. Well, that's right. That's wisdom. You know, there's, a, there's this couplet in Proverbs 27 where it says, answer a fool according to their folly, or they're going to think that, you know, they're all that. Uh, that's the Chip translation, by the way. And then, there's another, then the next verse says, don't answer a fool according to their folly, because they'll think like, that you're validating them. So you're like, well, what is it? And it's kind of like, you have to figure it out in the situation. Like it could be one thing or another. So um, for some of us, it's going to be, it would be dangerous to stay. This is a time where we, the, the, there's a good opportunity and it, it fits certain criteria and God's telling us, I want you to move on. And for others of us, it actually would be dangerous to leave. There's things either in our character, or in our career, or both, usually both, that need to happen by being the person who stays and um, nobody likes to talk about that part, that idea during the Great Resignation. But I, you know, it's funny as I as we've gotten to, you know, we get to interview a lot of interesting people at Voca, and, and some of the ones with the most accomplished careers. When you ask them why, what happened, like what propelled you forward in your career, and it's like, I've heard this more than once. Everybody left, and I was the last person like with seniority or experience, and I had to step up and I had to learn things and become things that. I wouldn't have if I had left and, you know, that led to other things. So these three ideas, you know, the idea that there's a sovereign God that's got a plan that he's mysteriously accomplishing uh, through the good and the, the beauty and the brokenness of people. This idea that Jesus isn't just this distant, um, he's not just an example and he's not just a savior. He's also a, a Lord, which means he's a leader who has a, he's going to guide us. That's his, that's part of what he's, he says he's going to do and, we need to surrender to that, which there's a yielding part of that that has an edge to it, but there's also a responsibility. His responsibility, he has more responsibility for you than you do. I think there's relief in that. And then there's this third idea of wisdom that, that we, the scriptures say if we pray for wisdom, God's going to give us wisdom. He's going to show us what to do in light of who he is and what he's doing. So, uh, Ken and Sarah, what do you think? Pick, pick that, pick that, pick that apart, push on that a little bit, or, or, exclamation point whatever whatever react what do you think i've got some things i want to double click on i want to go down some of these rabbit holes all right double click it double click so you're talking about um the need for us to to embrace optimism in the sovereignty of god i love that and it it takes me back to a conversation we had um a couple weeks ago about how we can wander around with an orphan mentality Right, forgetting that we are children of God, loved by a loving Heavenly Father who knows how to give good gifts to His children. And so that, that idea of um, having optimism in God's sovereignty, when you link that with a child who has a loving father, I think that the tendency is that we wander around as orphans forgetting that we're loved and that, that God's in control. Yeah, and, and what does that love buy us, Sarah? I was thinking of the difference between a child's perspective and a father's perspective. 
as it relates to a child's decision. To the child, the decision is, oh my gosh, this is earth shattering. This is so mad, you know, do I go to the party or not? Or what am I gonna wear? Or, you know, I, and, and I look, as a father, I look at those decisions and I'm, I, I'm empathetic, I'm entering their space. I know it's a big deal. I'm not trying to, to put them down. But from my perspective, I think, gosh, I have all these resources. We have all these options. There's so many good things I have in store for you. Um, you can't make a decision that's going to ruin, you know, what what is obviously a, my my loving guidance and path for you. Mm. And so when I when I think of myself as the child and I'm freaking out, and oh my gosh, am I going to take this job? How's my career going to go? I'm I'm often reminded I have a loving heavenly Father who's in charge. He's rich. He's 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 got he's got all the wisdom and resources and power. Maybe, maybe I can relax and rely instead of freaking out with fear. Nothing freaks me out like fear about my job. Yeah. Like that well, just pu it pushes it, a button. Like I am that child that's like going to yes. die because I'm not going to get the ice cream cone. But, you know, right. frankly, my livelihood seems a lot more important than that ice cream, ice cream cone. Right. And because we think our livelihood is in our jobs. And he would say, well, actually, I'm in charge of your livelihood. Mm-hmm. Mm. Flipping the script. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Put it on its head. Yeah. I, I was also thinking about that whole idea of um, wisdom, right? Wisdom versus the fear or the, or the, the rash reaction. Um, and I was thinking about how wisdom is often the application of knowledge plus experience. And so the younger you are in your career, the more we really need to seek out godly wisdom. And the older we are in our career, that doesn't mean that we're exempt from needing wisdom from others. But I think there's a, there's a seasoned, intentional response of where we look at our leadership story, we look at the way God works in our lives, and we combine our knowledge of God and our experience, um, and then we look to apply that as we, as we seek wisdom um, and information on our next steps. Uh, but I really think that in order to have good experience, that takes time. And those of us who are younger really need to, to invite others um, even more so than those who are more mature into our conversations. Yeah. And, and what you're talking, what you're touching on there, Sarah, uh, is, is kind of how do we figure this out, right? I mean, it, it's one thing to say you need wisdom to make a decision and it might be this and it might be that. It's another thing to have a, some kind of method or path forward or strategy for figuring that out. What you're touching on is the need for mentors, coaches, people who are wise, prophets, sages, mothers. I go to my mother a lot for this kind of thing. Um, and I think of, um, you know, if you're trying to do it alone, which is kind of my tendency, uh, maybe a chance to step back and say, what wisdom could be gained by multiple counselors here? Yeah, there's some new research by Barna uh, the Barna Group that suggests that um, almost 60% of Americans and almost 60% of people that call themselves Christians view this whole vocational navigating area, whether it's dealing with the stress of your job or figuring out what job you're supposed to do, as a solo, it's a solo task. Like, it's just them on their own. And, um, you know, I mean, you can read the Bible and get wisdom, right, and pray and stuff like that, but... It, it's the people in the Bible didn't just read the Bible. They were in community with people who were wise and they found people that could 
give them that that counsel that you're talking talking about, Ken. Yeah, even David, the man after God's own heart, needed Nathan to come in and give him some perspective, didn't he? Yes, perspective <laughs> and truth. <laughs> yes. So Ken, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I don't want you to throw your dad under the bus, but you said, you know, there's something about your mother. Yes. That you that you recognize that just draws you to her as a source of wisdom. Say more about right. that. That's interesting. Well, I, I'm not saying my dad has no wisdom. Of course, my dad has has great wisdom. What I'm saying is that, you know, in, in my relationship with my mother, what I often find is that she has the kind of um, perspective from the Lord and the life skills. You know, she's she's doing psychotherapy every day and she's seen so many situations where people have done well or where they haven't done well and if you just look at all the things that she's looked at you would come up with a lot of great wisdom just by observation because she's vicariously living through these people's lives that are sometimes in turmoil and and then they get turned around or they they figure out how to escape from some of the things that are threatening them so yeah, my point is that we all probably could find someone or some group of people in our lives that are wiser, that have what, what just what Sarah was talking about, you know, this this mix of um, experience, experience. It, it, yeah, experience, biblical knowledge, the having seen a lot of things, having walked with a lot of people. Um, these are people that we could turn to in times where we're doing what you were talking about, Chip, where we're like, hey, we got to figure it out. The Bible's not going to tell me to quit my job or not. What the Bible's going to do is give me principles and stories and examples of people who have done these kinds of things. And then I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit and my community to help me kind of navigate that. That's really good. What about this idea of being led by, you said that somewhat, Ken, about your mom, but what about this idea of being led by God? Like, what do you, how have you guys seen that happen maybe in a place where you were stuck? or didn't know what to do? Like, how do you know God's leading you to do something? Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I think this is a really great question because uh, I think in, in that part of your, of your, your thoughts, you were talking about um, not, being, um, not being tied down by fear, but really embracing the, the idea of um, Jesus as Lord and being yoked under him, meaning we're taking on his, his harness. Like we're, we're partnering with him and we're surrendering into that harness. And I think for us to really experience the leadership of the Lord, we have to come to that point continually of, of surrendering um, to his leadership, surrendering to his lordship. And that I think that process, um, especially as we think about changing our jobs, has to be refreshed in us. We have to come to the Lord and in, invite his leadership specifically in this area um, and, and, and walk through a process of submission and recommitment. And I think that's one of the ways that we open up to hear his voice is when we, when we put that stake in the ground and say, Lord, I, I believe, help me in my unbelief and help me discern uh, what you want. There's a passage in Isaiah that says that um, you'll hear him whisper, this is the way, walk in it. And so there are times when we need him in the moment to tell us, do I, do I have this conversation now with my team or with my boss or do I, do I wait? And that, I think that's where we have to really be um, keeping in step with the spirit to be able to discern what is the next right step. 
Yeah, and, and let's think of the examples in the Bible. How have they answered that question? You have people on the one hand, like Gideon, who said, look, we're going to do a little game here, God. You know, I'm going to do this and you're going to do one of these things. And this is how we're going to discern it. Right. And what, what amazes me is that God totally buys into it. He, he goes into it. And then even when Gideon changes the rules, he's still in. He, very God's patient. Still, God is very, very patient. patient. Right. Who, who would do this? And then you also have, you know, did, did Joseph wonder, should he go to jail? No, he was sent to jail by a power outside of himself. He's not discerning God's will. God's imposing his will. There's nothing mm. to decide. Or how about, you know, Paul, uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, right? So, you know, you, you get stories where God just intervenes. But then what I think what Sarah said is also true. It's one of the options. It's one of the possibilities. Sorry, this isn't more simple, but it's real life. Sometimes it's a whisper. I can remember a time when I, I heard God whisper to me. It was like a small sentence. You should start this project. And he gave me a project. And I, I, I clearly felt this is the Lord leading. I did that project. It had a season. It, it, was, a, it was an amazing experience. I'm not doing it now. But I, I look back on that time and say, wow, God intervened by prompting me, giving me a, a nudge. Uh, are you open to that? Are you, are you listening for that? Other times it's been in conversations with wise people or during a sermon. Uh, but it's it's almost always been either a circumstance outside myself that I just couldn't ignore or sort of an openness, a willingness, a wanting to include him, a listening for it. You don't hear whispers unless you're listening. Mm. Oh, say that again. You don't hear whispers unless you're listening. Sarah, Ken, anything you want to put a put an exclamation point on there in the end as we think about following up on this, thinking about the great resignation, not doing it alone? Yeah, the, the thing I would add is that, you know, you, you said at the beginning, when a shock happens, we kind of rethink everything. I think this qualifies as a time to rethink several things, not just oversimplify this. And that's why we take this approach. Um, you know, uh, coaching and consulting with us is not a magic, you know, eight ball where you just, you know, come out with the answer. It's rather a chance to step back and say, how am I building resilience in my personal life, my network, my finances? How am I wired? Let's check in again about what, who am I again? And what does God want for me? And, and to connect with the, the spirit and the word in a way that makes sure I'm really drawing on those resources, along with some data, along with some, you know, science, along with some proven um, best practices. Um, so, you know, yes, there is an urgency to a lot of these engagements. I need a job now. I've got three months. My money's running out. That sort of thing I hear. But also don't, don't waste a good emergency. Like these, these are here in your life for a reason. Let's suck the marrow out of this and see what we can do for your long-term benefit. Yeah. And I think that it's a privilege for us to be able to, to walk with the women and men who are wrestling with, should I stay or should I go? It is, it's a privilege to, to have somebody open up their life and say, help me sort this out. And then to be able to listen to what's happening in their life, to be able to, to, to guide them through collecting feedback from others and then walking them through um, assessments to help them pinpoint their natural abilities and skills. I mean, there is a, there's a rush when women and men discover where their unique gifting meets the brokenness of the world um, and they can make a difference um, in, their, in their working hours. It is, it is a, a joy and a privilege to support that. Indeed it is. God's wisdom for your work. 
So that's what we seek to deliver, and we're delighted uh, that you all could be with us today. So thanks for joining us, and, uh, and we'll see you next time. This conversation was recorded in front of a live virtual audience, and you can be a part of that audience. Register now for the next live webinar at vocacenter.org slash webinar. We'll see you next time on the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, where you get insight and inspiration to thrive at work.